Joining us here in the studio for the news briefings, Hami Sorang, good morning to you. Good morning, Henry. We begin with another corona update here in Korea. Please tell us the latest. Okay, so the KCDC reported 54 new cases from Wednesday, including 44 local and 10 imported transmissions. This puts the country's total coronavirus caseload at 12,904. Now, in terms of local clusters, one case was added to a church in Kwanaku district of Seoul, raising its cluster count to 33. And in Gwangju, there were 30 additional infections related to the Kwangnuksa temple, bumping up the count there to 49. And seven people were confirmed in relation to an acting academy in Tegu City, which included middle and high school students. So schools in the city will decide whether to open next week, depending on the test results of the 100 uh, people who came into contact with the students. And related to the apartment complex in Ujongbu of Gyeonggi-do province, the KCDC confirmed eight additional cases, putting the cluster tally at 14. So we keep seeing these uh, mini-cluster infections pop up uh, mm-hmm. throughout the country, uh, largely in these metropolitan areas, right. uh, the churches, uh, the hagwons, uh, a lot of the usual suspects here. And uh, I think one of the ones that you just mentioned, the last one, kind of gives a lot of people pause because most of us maybe do live in these apartment complexes. Not all of us go to churches, not all of us Mm -hmm. attend hagwons, not all of us uh, work at door-to-door companies, but a lot of us live in apartment complexes. So this is a bit of an alarming situation. What is the culprit here? Uh, Interestingly, uh, it is thought that the apartment's elevator may be seen as a point of transmission in the Ujangbu case? That's right. So if we have a look at the Ujangbu case in further detail, there was one person hmm. who spread the virus to eight other residents living in the same apartment, Dong, or standalone yeah. building. And one of the eight residents then visited a local gym and spread the virus to five gym members. So if we just look at the apartment residents only, the nine patients are from five households. And it's been confirmed that the five households didn't have any direct contact with each other, meaning that the transmission occurred through common areas, most likely the elevator. The KCDC Deputy Director Kwon Junuk said as part of its investigation, the agency is looking into the antimicrobial film used to cover the elevator buttons. Not that there's anything special about it in this particular case, but just to see if there were uh, signs of there being a high viral count on the film. Mm. Because that's usually how you get transmitted in elevators from right. touching the buttons. And those uh, antimicrobial films are pretty much now ubiquitous on every elevator here in the country. Mm -hmm. It's pretty amazing how fast they were able to just implement that on there. Mm -hmm. Uh, If anything, it just feels like there was a bit of a placebo effect with with the films being there, kind of giving maybe people like myself some peace of mind Uh as to having that. Uh, I understand surface transmission is definitely a thing. And and some of these... uh, uh, bacter- these these uh, viral loads can linger for, for days here. Mm-hmm. But um, with the microbial films, you, you figured, okay, if I press this, it should be safe. Are they effective? They are effective in that, yes, they do uh, neutralize microbes, including uh-huh. the novel coronavirus, faster than other surfaces, such as glass, plastic, or metal. Mm-hmm. But this neutralization, it's not instant. You know, like if virus lands, it's not going to die instantly. I see. Um, as KCDC Deputy Director Kwon jun pointed out yesterday, the viruses are still viable for around four hours after mm. um, landing on the film. So the best protection is still frequent hand washing. 
The director, Kwon Junuk, the deputy director, he also urged the public to continue taking precautions against possible transmissions of COVID-19. Let's listen to a clip of his remarks. 현장 역학 조사관의 경험에서는 마스크 없이 이루어지는 대화 또는 휴대폰의 통화 등이 코로나19 노출과 전파의 가능성이 높다는 의견입니다. 계속 말씀드리고 있는 것처럼 코로나19는 피할 수 없는 상황이기 때문에 우리가 변화할 수밖에 없습니다. So he's saying with the officials that do these epidemiological surveys that coronavirus can spread Uh, through conversations uh, without, when, when, when you're not wearing masks, mm-hmm. it's, it's a lot more virulent, uh, even phone calls, and that we're human beings. We can't necessarily do anything right now to change the nature of this uh, COVID-19 sure. uh, virus. So we have to adapt and, and change our behavior. It, mm-hmm. it kind of is kind of highlighted because you come in, to the station a few minutes before the show, and mm-hmm. we get to have a nice short conversation. Yeah. I always notice you standing quite a bit away <laughs> from me, and, and I, I was wondering, do I smell? Am I creepy? But I realized because of your, you know, being a former medical professional yourself, you, you're just exercising those safe uh, social distancing guidelines. No, it's interesting that you think this is related to the COVID-19 <laughs> pandemic. Right. <laughs> no. Okay. That, that was my hope. Yeah. That was my... Personal um, reasons. No. Yeah, like, uh, I guess, false optimism <laughs> on that count, but... Uh, mm-hmm. Definitely uh, good to see that uh, we have to all sort of in our own small ways, uh, regardless of how uh, influential or not influential we are, kind of try to set that example uh, for society. Well, um, we are having a bit of a mini freak out with these uh, almost daily uh, 50 new infections. Let's talk about the U.S. then, just Mm -hmm. from scale, because uh, a lot of people uh, know that the U.S. is the third most populous nation in the world. And let's say we have 50 million. The U.S. has a population of of a little over uh, 300 million. So if we have 50, and and considering that South Korea, uh, by most accounts, is handling the virus uh, pretty well, Uh uh, the U.S., you would think it would be decent, let's say, times six the population Mm -hmm. of Korea. If they had, uh, let's say, around three Uh, new infections per day, they'd be doing okay. But they're not at that 50 level. They're at 50,000 daily new cases to, I mean, just again, the scale of this, uh, even just from the per capita point of view, um, 50,000 per day is basically quadruple the total number of coronavirus infections that we have here in Mm -hmm. South Korea. It's it's a pretty serious situation, right? That's right. And it reported over 50,000 daily new cases for the first time on Wednesday local Mm. time. 52,898, to be precise. This is the single highest daily increase since the start of the pandemic. And this is the fifth time in a little over a week that the country has set a new single-day case record. The total caseload for the U.S. currently stands at 2.82 million, with over 130,000 deaths. And at the state level, California, Texas, Arizona, New Carolina and Georgia, they all broke their previous single-day records as well on Wednesday. And so uh, a lot of people are attributing this to the decision for these various states uh, in the states, as you mentioned, California, Texas, Arizona, North Carolina, Georgia, uh, which are seeing alarming uh, rises right now, uh, to this decision to open up and whether Mm -hmm. uh, these states have opened up too quickly. Uh, There are some concerns in Korea that uh, maybe businesses started to open up too early Mm -hmm. as well. But it was with the um, 
kind of strong recommendations of the government to adhere still to these hygienic and and social distancing guidelines as we did that. We did not see that same cohesive message uh, from the federal government in the U.S. with Mm -hmm. this. And so a lot of these uh, local governments are doing this sort of willy-nilly and and whatever their philosophies of governing may be, which Mm -hmm. may include masks, which may not include masks. And so we're seeing these gatherings of people and we're seeing this ensuing virulent spread of COVID-19. So particularly worrisome right now is that uh, uh, one of the biggest holidays of the year is upcoming in the U.S., and that is uh, Independence Day, 4th of July. That holiday uh, should cause some concern. Big concern there because we have seen spikes in some states following Memorial Day. So the worry is that we will see a similar spike. But fortunately, many states, they are doing a rethink of their reopening plans. For example, in 19 counties in California, restaurant, dining rooms, bars, museums, zoos and movie theatres, they are all being told to stay shut or close for three weeks. And in hard-hit South Florida, beaches from Palm Beach to Key West will be shut down for this upcoming holiday weekend. Meanwhile, Michigan is closing indoor service bars throughout most of the lower part of the state. And in New York, they have recently cancelled a plan to reopen restaurants next week. The business sector, some of the businesses are taking a cautious approach as well. Citigroup, for one, extended its work-from-home policies in 13 states. And Apple will close 30 additional stores across the country by Thursday local time. It is surreal to see that uh, the United States and uh, really being led by you would think ostensibly by the CDC, which sets the gold standard for these kind of health policies Mm -hmm. around the world, uh, that they're having this uh, difficult time because Europe was uh, just as badly, if not worse, hit in the outside of the pandemic. And they seem to, although some concerns there, they they seem to have leveled off. And we're Mm -hmm. seeing these numbers and you see these charts and graphs that are online. And and the, the U.S. situation is just alarming because of the fact that they never really even dipped down. They had this Period, I guess people were calling um, sort of a peak plateau, right, mm-hmm. where they leveled around 20,000, and yeah. now they're having this uptick again. I just had one question before we move sure. on to the next story here, uh, just based on your medical expertise. And I know you're looking at the numbers, too. Uh, these numbers are growing. Uh, they're now at the 50,000 mark. Fauci, uh, Anthony Fauci uh, in the U.S. Uh, worried that it might hit 100,000 per day. Yet we are seeing fatality cases and rates go down relatively low. And there are several theories. So one would be that uh, most of these new contractions now are younger people who mm-hmm. seem to be handling it better. Uh, the other would be that um, uh, perhaps uh, there is just a better way to treat these people. There's no prophylactics or vac- uh, vaccines, yeah. but they know how to keep people alive mm-hmm. a little better. And then the third would be that the, the deaths are a lagging indicator then we don't really see the maybe the full effect of these increased uh, infections for maybe about two weeks. So right. what, what do you think in terms of that? I think uh, the first and the third point that you mentioned there about the newer infections affecting younger people. And so we do have, you know, the cytokine storm where the death rate for very young people will be actually higher mm-hmm. because their immune system is so active. Right. But overall, uh, if you are healthy to begin with, then the it's not going to be as fatal when you get the right. infection. 
And as the third point that you mentioned there. Yeah, well. and, but the worry is these young people also all have grandparents and then they yeah. go to places where, where elderly reside. It does look like the elderly uh, population in the U.S. has gotten the message mm-hmm. and they're trying to stay safe. But uh, it's, it's certainly uh, something to keep out for. What are the current treatments right now? You talked about this the last time you were here. Mm-hmm. Um, remdesivir, that has now kind of been uh, in the media spotlight uh, as potentially a a treatment. Now there is some controversy because health experts are slamming the U.S. for allegedly hoarding remdesivir for their own use. That's right. So this is in response to Gilead Sciences, the manufacturer of remdesivir, announcing earlier this week that essentially it won't sell remdesivir outside the U.S. through to September. The U.S. government confirmed this, saying that it had secured more than 500,000 treatment courses worth of remdesivir for U.S. hospitals. This is well over 90% of Gilead's projected three-month production from July through to September. The manufacturer's CEO had also stated that the medicine will be supplied to the U.S. for the next several months, where there has been greatest need in the developed world and where the medicine has been approved, and that it makes sense to put a large portion of the supply in America. He added that depending on where the disease goes in the developed world, in September and beyond, his company will look into that developing countries are in need, what the developing countries Mm -hmm. need. So following these uh, three announcements, several countries, including Australia, Germany and the UK, they have publicly confirmed that those countries already have enough supplies to cover current needs so as to give peace of mind to their own citizens. But critics say that the U.S.'s move to buy up so much stock from Gilead undermines international cooperation in the fight against COVID-19, especially given that all these other countries, they have taken part in the clinical trials of remdesivir. Thomas Senderowitz, head of the Danish Medicine Society, said that a company choosing to sell their stock to only one country is very strange and quite inappropriate. Meanwhile, the WHO said that it is looking into reports of the U.S. hoarding remdesivir and said that it is fully committed to equitable access to life-saving interventions. Right. And the last time you were here, you were kind of explaining the whole process. I wouldn't say you were being an apologist for a big farmer, but you did explain <laughs> how you know, the R&D costs are uh, mm-hmm. partially subsidized, but the companies themselves also put a lot of money into it. And these pricing schemes seem outlandish, but it does reflect that. And then you said this uh, particular drug, remdesivir's pricing was actually... considered to be reasonable. Mm-hmm. This thing where, where the U.S. is hoarding and buying up all the stuff, is that considered reasonable and cool? Uh, my, this is just a personal yeah. opinion, but I think it is, it's unfortunate, but it is reasonable in that many countries, including the U.S.A., do have explicit um, legal frameworks to right. say if it's an epidemic, if it's an emergency crisis situation, the company is allowed to keep drugs to that country. So you have to prioritize the, the, the national base of that sure. uh, corporation. Mm-hmm. And sort of, it, 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 it's, it's not, I guess, uh, nice for the, the spirit of kind of a, a global community. But mm-hmm. at the same time, what you're saying is that this is something that a lot of countries do, not just the United States. Right. And as we mentioned before, um, it's estimated, it hasn't been clear because Gilead scientists, they didn't, they're not very transparent about their R&D costs. But it's estimated that around 70 million of U.S. taxpayers monies have gotten mm. into the R&D. Right. So it's almost like the initial investors should get first crack yeah. at the IPO sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Got it.
Uh, Korea, also interestingly, though, administered uh, remdesivir for uh, COVID-19 patients for the first time yesterday. That's right. So two critically ill patients received the drug yesterday afternoon. The KCDC said in a daily briefing yesterday morning that it had received applications for the drug for two patients and that after a review, the drug will be provided in the afternoon. Now, you might be wondering... I thought remdesivir. How did they get it, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, but these are vials from a batch donated by Gilead. So this is before this whole announcement. Right now, 33 patients in Korea meet the criteria for remdesivir treatment. 20 are on ventilators, and 13 are on oxygen therapy or have a high fever. Right. Well, uh, best of luck to those patients that are uh, undergoing the remdesivir treatment. We turn now to the controversy, uh, the uh, the standoff between Justice Minister Chumie and the Prosecutor General Yoon Seung-yeol. Chu has ordered Yoon now to scrap this uh, advisory panel on the prosecution media collusion case. Uh, let's first listen to remarks she made on Wednesday regarding this. 지금까지는 지켜보았는데 더 이상 지켜보기 어렵다면 저도 결단할 때 결단하겠습니다. So she's been, I think she's saying, I've been waiting and watching, waiting, watching, and, uh, you know, uh, enough is enough, and I I might have to make a a strong decision, right? Right, so she made those uh, remarks on Wednesday, and a day later on Thursday, uh, Chumye wielded her authority and told Yoon Seok-yeol to stop the creation of an expert advisory panel in the senior prosecutor channel a journalist case. So in an official document sent to the Supreme Prosecutor's Office, Chu said that, quote, with the investigation still going on, experts' assessment on the case might bring out a hasty conclusion, which in turn could hamper the efforts to find the truth. So with this, Chu effectively, she has sided with the whole Central District Prosecutor Office, which had earlier this week asked the Supreme Prosecutor's Office to not intervene in the probe and ensure independence. Chu stressed that the case should be handled in a rational and transparent manner, given the presumably close relations between senior prosecutor Han Dong-hun and Yoon Seok-yeol. And this is considered to be uh, fairly rare in, in terms of the criminal justice system. That's right. So Chu, she, this is just the second uh, time in history that a justice minister is invoking investigative authority. The last time this happened was back in 2005, when then-Justice Minister Chun Jong-bae took over command of an investigation into a professor for comments about the Korean War. At the time, the prosecution followed Chun's orders, and later the prosecutor general stepped down from his post only six months into his two-year term. As you can imagine, the main opposition United Future Party is not happy about this and mm-hmm. uh, demanding that the president, Moon Jae-in, uh, dismiss Chumye. That's right. UFP floor leader Chu Ho-yong, he made the demand during an emergency press conference yesterday and accused Chu Mie of doing all she can to bring Yoon Seok-yeol down. Uh, Chu Ho-yong, he added that if Moon Jae-in doesn't dismiss Chu Mie himself, the National Assembly will step in and impeach the minister. If you want a clue as to whether it's a political statement or actually a real threat, uh, just look at the numbers. They have 108. They would have to convince 30 ruling party members to actually uh, vote along to get a majority uh, impeachment uh, uh, ruling in place from uh, parliament. Let's stay with the justice ministers and Yoon Seung-yeol. This was a bit of a bombshell interview. The former justice minister, Park Sang-gi, revealed that Yoon Seung-yeol had explicitly stated he wanted to prevent 
Cho Guk from becoming the new justice minister. Mm-hmm. So the former justice minister, Park Sang-gi, he gave an interview with News t a p a And he revealed numerous groundbreaking details from August 27th of last year. This is the day when the prosecution launched its investigation into then-Justice Minister nominee Cho Guk and conducted simultaneous raids on 20 institutions. So according to Park Sang-gi, he was not given any heads up about the raid. And when he found out, he quickly realized that it was a political move aimed at undermining the presidential authority over personnel and also a retaliation against a prosecutorial reform initiative led by Park himself. More importantly, when Park called Yoon s o k y e o l to ask about the raid, Yoon s o k y e o l reportedly said, quote, I ordered the raid as a sign to Cho Guk that he should step down. Park and Yoon also met in person later that day, and according to Park Sang-gi, during their hour-long meeting, Yoon reportedly said that private, uh, private equity funds are for frauds and questioned, how can a senior secretary for civil affairs partake in such a thing, stressing the concept of as in, if his wife had participated, Cho Guk had to know and consent. And we're going to try to get some analysis on that in the days ahead. Uh, final story here, Mi Sorang. President Moon Jae-in calling for heavier taxes on owners of multiple homes to tackle these skyrocketing prices. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is after he implemented the yeah. June 17th real estate measures, but it was widely considered it hasn't been that effective. So after receiving an emergency report yesterday afternoon from Land Minister Kim Hyun-mi, the president instructed Kim to push for ways to raise tax burdens for those owning two or more houses. At the same time, he called for policy measures to ease tax burden for first-time homebuyers. The Land Ministry will soon map out some concrete plans and the government is expected to submit a related bill to the 21st National Assembly. This might be... uh considered the one Achilles heel for the government going forward because it does feel like, regardless of uh, where you are, left or right, conservative, liberal, rich or poor, you're not happy about real estate policy here in Korea. (laughs) And uh, the government, I think, is very mindful of that. So they're trying to figure out a way to to get this uh, under control. And uh, we'll see how successful they are. Uh, Mi Sorang, you've been very successful with this wonderful reporting. (laughs) Thank you so much and have a great weekend. Thank you, Henry.